everybody. Welcome to the Wise Rock Podcast, a show about building business and lessons learned. I'm your host, Eric Uzwa, along with the esteemed and mirthful Jeff Horton. Hey, Jeff, how's it going today? Hi, Eric. I'm having a pretty good week. As always, a lot of interesting things happen in the technology and business worlds. This being our first podcast together, I'd like to spend a few minutes talking about us so the listener has some idea of who we are. I've been thinking about technology for a lot longer than I should admit. You remember those very old Channel 3, Channel 4 switches we used with the early computers and TVs? When I was very young, I hooked up a VIC-20 at one end, a Commodore 64 at the other, and would alternate the channel to see what my little sister was typing. I'm not even sure she could spell in those days. I had run in the BBS scene, the computer store, and lots of years helping small companies and tech startups leverage technology to do interesting things. Awesome. That sounds pretty similar to my background, but completely different. Unlike most of my friends, including Jeff here, I grew up on the IBM PC side of the tracks, where I was blown away by a game I saw using CGA, and I think it was the first King's Quest. Do you remember the game that painted every scene for five minutes at least before you could do anything in it? I'd hunt through our local libraries for any scraps I could find on computer programming and collect those compute magazines that had the 10-page listings of Assembler. God forbid you lose your spot, or worse, you come across a few lines that went right to the middle of that page where the magazine binding was done. Uh, Fast forward to today, I run a business helping clients put together applications in JavaScript to solve their pain points, and I have four lovely children that have no concept of what a modem is or have even seen a phone book. So a compute magazine, right? That was a, a great magazine for yeah. everyone who's the right age. We all remember that. I had my early IBM access at my dad's office. It's QBasic hacking, and there was some uh, Gorilla, right. right? Remember Gorilla Basic? Oh, yeah, yeah. And so my, my school had a single Apple II in those days that we rolled up and down the hall. And then we uh, you know played Oregon Trail when it came to the Apple II. A lot of right. uh, was our summer games, maybe, I think we played a lot in those days. And that was about it. Uh, what I find interesting is that the school, I don't know about your schools, but mine, they're still doing like intro to computer in elementary. So the kids all have tablets at home and they're making their own videos. But at the school, they're hanging out on friv.com just for practice using the computer. That seems like a missed opportunity to me. Oh, I totally agree. I totally agree. It's, it's definitely different in, I guess I would say, the real world outside of the school environment where kind of things seem to have moved along at lightning pace but then you walk inside the school and some of them maybe they got lucky maybe they got to deal with smart out here where i am smart has got a lot of boards in a lot of classes but not every school can afford them right so yeah, you kind of got ta- a real mi- mixed bag yeah we have like tablets in the classrooms you know my daughter did a, a whole video and things like that but right right that, that's become an in-classroom like multimedia experience but right. computer time the lab is still how to even turn it on that's right that's right and it's and it's treated like a uh i guess almost like a the field trip right everybody line up we we go to the computer lab and then you know everybody sign in <laughs> yeah exactly still still the classy crts and everything else it's, right it's right stuff so today we i think we've introduced ourselves a little bit yeah today's topic we got to get into something and i know recently I you and i talked about dot net and the uh, microsoft uh event so i was i've not been a microsoft guy for a long long time right i went to linux 15 years ago uh, linux and, and the ms build was oh we're gonna get the wording <laughs> arguments uh, so i you know the ms build stuff there was a lot of moves now to bring those dot net technologies c sharp those kinds of things into a bigger ecosystem get into you know, 
the, the Linux stuff and Mono and bring all those things forward. So I only just really looked at it seriously for the first time a few weeks ago again. And I was actually really impressed. I thought C Sharp was a very nice language. It seemed a very reasonable way to build things. But, but I know you told me that you weren't so sure. Well, I guess, um, again, it, it's interesting, our, our backgrounds. Um, on my side of the track, since I grew up on, on the IBM PC side of things, I did. I was in at the beginning uh, with a lot of the .NET stuff when they were really trying to push it forward. And, you know, at, at first, it was difficult to get it caught on. I mean, for one thing, they named it like a, a DNS suffix. Yeah. Right. I mean, like it was it was a really kind of a weird naming thing to name it. I mean, you would when you go to the browser and you type in .NET and wonder why you don't get the hits you're looking for. Right. But apart from that, um, they've always had a um, I guess I would say a hard time getting I guess I, w- <laughs> I guess I would say that uh, .NET always had a uh, their competitor was always definitely Java. And at the time it was Sun, Sun Java pushing a lot of the server-side area but at the same time they people still couldn't really seem to be able to pick which one was the better fit for their for their area right like you would they never had a um you know the early versions of .NET were fan, were well i can't say they're fantastic they were okay they did their job but they had a lot of real wrinkles like they had the 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 gack which is the global allocation or global something it, it was a central uh, registry that you had to s- stuff most of your your modules at the time. They had a lot of uh, performance issues. Of course, it wasn't it wasn't it wasn't cross platform at all. So you really you were really stuck to servers running Windows or machines running Windows, depending on what you're you're doing so, with it. So I have a question for you there. So you know the Java people were really I want to say always on the enterprise side, always on the server side. Maybe that's not completely true, but you know, Java desktop never really took off. So, if you came out of the Microsoft universe, I'm curious if you think there's a parallel between the, you know, front end experience moving to the back end. You know, the the win- classic Windows Visual Studio developer taking .NET and building services, which is what's happening now to the the JavaScript and, and Node people trying to find a way to get to the back end. Do you, do you think there's a parallel there? I think so. I think so. That's a that's a great point. Um, I never thought of it that way. Actually, I guess to me, I'm really <laughs> I'm really cynical about Microsoft, especially, uh, and so I see this as a as a as a real play to try and bring over people that have been you know hardcore open source forever. You know, as soon as they started a startup, it it would always be open source tech. You know, MySQL and and PHP or Rails or what have you, right? And then JavaScript, obviously JavaScript for the front end. Uh, and then I think you know part of part of the new strategy of Microsoft seems to be to kind of get their foot everywhere, and and really put themselves forward as a a strong open source competitor and not just quote unquote evil empire that they kind of had under the Bill Gates bomber bomber eras, right? You know where I mean. Uh, everyone was super cynical about everything they did, and and I think now you know maybe it is maybe it is a great play that they're that they're moving their their .NET everything .NET is now in GitHub. Apparently, they're accepting pull requests. Uh, they haven't really made any fanfare of doing so, so I'm not sure how you know how how straightforward that is. So everyone so, wants to be the platform 
for everything. Right? This is yeah. this is the way now. You know, Google would be quite happy if you used all of their languages, all of their infrastructure, their hosted services, everything. Microsoft is obviously doing that same thing, right? You know, there's a whole ecosystem. We can we can get you at every piece of it. You know, we can we can be there at every step. Maybe we don't have to be friendly PR, whatever you want to call it. But so imagine if Apple was doing the same thing. You know, they didn't get a leg into the server space and they haven't really got into the cloud computing space. They're, you know, from a user standpoint, you're handing everything to Apple. But from a, a you know, a target inside that iOS universe, if they had a platform as a service as part of iOS that you as a developer could use, you know, I think a lot of people would jump on that just the same. So would we also say that Apple was, you know, then trying to you know, be evil or control the ecosystem. Yeah, I guess they would. You know, and and to kind of backtrack a little bit on that in in terms of control, uh, when Windows Azure first came out, uh, when they when Microsoft first started pushing their platform, it was interesting that they were they were really exp- expounding the idea of running Rails, uh, running PHP. Uh, right on Azure, right? So I think from day from from their cloud area from day one, they wanted open source. They were they were really trying to go after that that market, right? Yeah, I've got clients right now that are complete non Microsoft stack inside Azure. You know, right, my, right. My biggest problem with Azure today actually has nothing to do with anything. I've been to a lot of local presentations here in Vancouver from them, seeing how they're doing, and they're trying to embrace Docker and containers and just gluing services together and. That's right. The problem there, of course, there's a lot going on. So the interface, getting to stuff, can can be all over the place. But they have some really interesting moves coming on the, we'll call them semi-technical compose an API kind of space. Lots of interesting thing there is where you can just join stuff together and then use real services at either end. And I don't think that's a move that you know Amazon really seems to be doing or anyone else. And I'm, I'm curious to see how that plays out. Oh, definitely. And it's actually pretty interesting because um, I don't know if you remember it, but a few years ago, you know, Amazon was really pushing internally. Everything had to have an API. Everything had to have an interface. Right. And the fact that they didn't kind of take advantage of that at the cloud level. You're right. So actually, that's that's one more point I'd like to touch on about the difference between the two of us. So I spent a lot more time and came out of the, the sysadmin world. I was a Novell guy for a long time. You didn't really come out of that system space. You came out of the programmer space a bit more. I'm always concerned that that abstraction, some of that cloud abstraction, encourages you sometimes to make bad decisions. That it just seems easier to spin up another server without really thinking about why or why you composed it. You're just like, oh, I'll just put up two. And I'm I'm curious if from a, a developer standpoint, if you even think about that, or is it just easy scaling for you, or... That's a great question. Uh, I think, you know, I mean, it depends on the team that you're on, uh, the challenges that they face, the budgets they have, you know, it, all those things aside, um, you're right. Like, I, I think there's, even though I think teams kind of get a, an inkling that something is going wrong when they're they're completely hardware bound or they're at a point where they have to, you know, just drop in a new server without really doing any kind of inspection or analysis on what they're actually doing with their app or with their stack that kind of thing so i ask i guess i don't think you would normally uh, be a guy who is instrumenting 
the running of your code, that that wouldn't be a, a default state for you, right? And that if you're if you're really doing ops stuff, of course, instrumentation is the key, right? To know what's going on. That's right. That's right. But I, you know, I have been going. I can't speak, of course, for for everyone else in the field, that kind of thing. But there really is a push, I think, on a lot of the JavaScript space to move in that direction, where you're introducing a lot of ops kind of techniques and tricks into what you're working on in, in the JavaScript to be able to have some of those kind of numbers and data to see what's actually happening in your code. And I'm not just talking about things like uh, uh, linting or or analysis of uh, of your actual code base, but how is it actually running in your environment? How is it running on on the various platforms that you're working with? Browser platforms. I mean, you know, yeah. there's there's a lot of I think recent work in that space where there's more there's a lot more push to do that kind of introspection and figuring out what what it is you're you're doing or not doing. Like where where can we where can we um, optimize? Where can we figure out where the breaking points are in the code base? What do we need to shore up, right? Yeah, yeah. And so that's, I think, part of part of where I see the difference is that, you know, you've got dev people, right? And then, of course, you always had ops people. You know, the point of, of dev ops is to make you, the developer, more aware of that global administration underneath, that you can't just that's prove right. it out on your desktop and hope it's all magical. Right, right. Or work in a vacuum alongside the rest of the com- company, right? Yeah. Um, you, you and you also need like it's it's not a uh, it's not a single like it's impossible to do as a task on your own for your little small team and in most environments right I mean you you need help from everybody you need help from ops to to make sure that you've got a, an area in place where you can where you can you can fiddle and you can get your instrumentation from without affecting what's running in in production or impacting other services right yeah that's so real size staging matters that much more now. That's right. That's right. I think I think more than ever, right? Like you, there's there's kind of a mixed uh, deployment strategies now for a lot of companies, right? Like it's it's not always a uh, a big bang anymore, like there used to be, where you throw a switch and hope that as everything spins up on the new code or new you know new environment that everything works okay, right? Now a lot of a lot of companies have been able to successfully implement like continuous deployments yeah. where you're just pushing, you know, minute changes of code up through the system. So, yeah. So, so to come back to where we started with the .NET universe, right. You know, obviously that, that Microsoft universe and the enterprise side, that kind of tooling and introspection and digging into the code and breakpoints, you know, at real staging and things like that, that stuff exists there. It doesn't necessarily, it's new to the front end and the JavaScript and those kinds of things. So, you know, again, like excluding the evil empire part, it would seem that the Microsoft universe is simply better prepared to go forward at internet scale. Oh, definitely. I mean, and I think it was, it was a real smart move for them to make. Uh, I think they, they saw the opportunity and, and they went for it with uh, boldly. I mean, they, like I say, I mean, their whole code base is on GitHub. They, they've really got a, uh, with with everything they've got deployed on the server side forever now. I mean, they've been embedded and they've been entrenched and embedded in a lot of environments. And they've been able to use the data gathered from that to, to figure out where, I think, where the new front is going to be. And that's in this being able to do this ops work, front end ops work. Interesting. So I want to ask you one more question on the, on the Microsoft side. You know, lately there's lots of news around that 
TypeScript and them getting involved in the Angular universe and those kinds of things. And I'm, I'm curious what you think of the JavaScript universe becoming the, we'll call it the new action script slowly as all these things merge together. Or maybe, or maybe I'm being dramatic, but I'm curious what your thoughts are on, on that edge. <laughs> Well, you know, I, and uh, I think this is, you know, a lot of the central, the, the central theme to a lot of what's happening in the front end is ECMAScript 6, the, the ES6 standard, which is coming out. Forgive me, I, I really can't remember when it's supposed to be here. But, you know, as browsers are slowly implementing ES6 kind of uh, um, syntax and optimization, there's a space in the middle where you've got um, languages like uh, native JavaScript which don't always cut it um, across the board. Oh, <laughs> That's a great question, Jeff. Uh, no, I think Microsoft was really smart to go back and uh, take full advantage of what they've learned on the server side and bring in, uh, try and bring in the front, the front people back into the fold. Um, I think they realized at least earlier on before Balmer, maybe a large part of the organization did and, and the, the old the old school the old squad was was um, fighting the change but I think they saw the writing on the wall for the the desktop um, type of computing their their whole model that they've kind of made their bread and butter from the beginning on um, you know cloud came up fast it came out out of nowhere and it it took over it's still taking over everything. Um, along with mobile, right? But um, you know, I think once Satya came into into power on on Microsoft, he took what he learned from the cloud and he's injecting that into the for developers on the desktop. You know, we're we're going to take um, the the ability to kind of analyze and and statically test your code uh, with our .NET everything they've learned on the .NET side and bring that into JavaScript. Um, we don't have a uh, um, spaghetti code base anymore, which al almost always happens in regular, what I call now vanilla JavaScript code bases, right? You've got a lot of, um, there's still kind of disagreements on how to structure things, on how to put um, a code base together, right? And something like TypeScript gives you a, a little bit more of an advantage where you're, you're more future-proof to ES6, the ES6 specification, um, but you can still work in today's browsers, and you can still take advantage of uh, command line um, analysis of some of your code base. Yeah, and that's what I've heard out here is that the analysis piece is really the the big win more than anything else. That you get get all those classical tools in the browser in those languages. That's right. That's right. Um, and you know, for forever and a day now, if you've been on on JavaScript on the front end, the tooling has been really, really, really difficult to come by. Um, it's, of course, made so much better with the release of Node and other kind of analysis tools, like tools that help that use Node to help analyze your code base. But still, there's a I don't know, like there, there's still a lot, a lot missing from from JavaScript. Everybody talks about tests. You know, you, you speak of an analysis earlier on. Um, everyone talks about tests, how to test. We have to test our stuff, and you get to a point in the code base where you just can't test it. Yeah, it yeah. You've got untestable modules because because of the way you know enclosures work in JavaScript, the way things are structured and or unstructured, right? The 
the things that have come together in the code base that are completely untestable once you hit a certain point. So I'm think you know I'm I'm thinking that uh, approaches like TypeScript and what they offer. You know, again, it was smart to get themselves embedded into the Angular side. Yeah, I I don't know how that how that happened or how they how they made they put themselves there, but it was a smart move. They you know and and I think it it was good for everybody. You know, uh, the when Angular the Angular team was first talking about Angular two and talking about AtScript, people were kind of looking at each other like AtScript. I mean, now we have to learn another thing, like JavaScript. You know, ActionScript, AtScript. Right and and what's this ad script going to be and is it going to be you know like there were so many questions around what was it and and what was it going to entail so I think it was really smart that uh, Microsoft stepped in and got got TypeScript into the picture and basically shoved away ad script right yeah cool well I think that's a, a good place to stop for this week we'll uh, we'll pick up next week we've we've talked about mobile a little bit here today and I think that's probably yeah. a, an interesting world to explore too what's going on there so i want to if anybody wants to figure out more about who we are you can find me at at jeff horton on twitter that's j-e-f-f-h-o-r-t-o-n and also my company is rocky web industries which is r-o-c-k-i-e-w-e-b dot com and eric me for myself i'm at at e-u-z-w-a that's e-y-u-z-w-a take all the last letters of the alphabet and throw in the first one on Twitter, and then my site is wazooinc.com, W-A-Z-O-O-I-N-C.com. That's great. We'll uh, see everybody next week. Thanks for listening, everyone.